0: and welcome to another massive episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. It is the big one. It is Northern Ireland versus Slovakia. It is the playoff final for Euro 2020, 2021, whatever you want to call it. We're one game away from it. Uh, my name is Andy Bell, and joining me for this preview podcast, I've got, first of all, Peter Baker. Pete, thanks very much for coming on again.
1: Hi there, Andy. Thanks for having me. No
0: problem at all, and I'm joined for the very first time tonight, delighted to be joined by uh, Dave Dumming from the Copcast podcast. Dave, how's it going? Yeah, great, mate. Thanks for having me on.
2: Looking forward to it.
0: Absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. Okay, I'll, I'll stick with you, with you Dave. Um, so let, let's just have a sort of general chat about the game. Obviously, it's the, the idea of, of watching Northern Ireland in a playoff final for a major tournament at home, not being able to go out, not being able to watch it with your mates is a bit crap. What are your, what are your plans for Thursday night?
2: Um, oh, I don't even know. I don't even know. There's three of us that would normally go to the game together with another three absolute maniacs that would sit in front of us generally, and the cracks always brilliant. And you know what these games are like? Um, you're in town early, and everybody's looking forward to a brilliant night. And it's kind of a bizarre scenario where essentially it's a final. You know, it's not it's not one leg of a playoff. It's it's an outright. Um, winner-takes-all kind of situation and it's maybe if you want to think about it from the perception of that it's maybe a little bit concerning for us that we know how much the atmosphere in Windsor drives that team forward and gets us results that we have no right to get, you know, right the way back you know, we're talking the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So You know, there's a a lot of anxiety around it. You know, the frustration of not being able to get there. The concern that, you know, we don't have that support behind us. Our last um, home game wasn't particularly um, impressive, uh, to say the least. I don't know how much empty stadiums had to play into it. But again, we you know, we went with a Bosnia whose, whose home record's pretty impeccable. And we come away with, with a penalty shootout victory. And you just maybe take a step back and think to yourself and wonder if that had him in a food stadium, do we come away with that result? I don't know. So, yeah, there's all that to be factored in. But bottom line is, we're, as you say, we're, we're one game away from a second Euros in a row, which is an unbelievable position to be in and you can't help but sit back and just be proud of what we've achieved over the last like four to six years because it's been amazing.
0: Absolutely. And and Pete, it's it's one of these games where I've said this before on podcasts because since like 2014, we've had the big games in qualifying. We had the Euros. We had the playoff against Switzerland. We had those games against uh, Germany and Holland, which were high stakes last year. You can almost sort of, take this for granted but these these games don't really come about much for northern ireland fans do they you know like before that we're sort of getting excited about say well we're we're playing a team with three games to go and if if we beat them and results go our way then maybe we could sneak into a playoff for like the world cup 2010 or something but now we've got these massive high stake games as as dave said a one-off game a winner takes all scenario but we're not overly used to this and like how do you how do you sort of feel about this we've had We've had the experience of getting the, the semi-final um, in, that, in that sort of environment. But, but this is going to be different. Probably a bit more pressure on us in front of 1,060 Northern Ireland supporters. Maybe even slight favourites on a footballing, from a footballing perspective as well. I mean, how do you, how do you see this game going? And do you think, well, well, it's going to be a very different game to the one we had in Bosnia, isn't it, in, in so many aspects?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it'll be hugely different. Offer uh, lots of different things that we need, need to overcome. Uh, just from a personal point of view, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm doing my best just to try and enjoy this purple patch of Northern Ireland football that we're seeing. I mean, even looking back 10 years ago before O'Neill, we're scrapping around the bottom of our qualifying groups and now we find ourselves in a position where we're one game away at home uh, to qualify for the Euros. So, I mean, I would, I would love to see a performance on Thursday night where the players go for it. We've nothing to lose. Um, really, I think as a, na- as a small nation to qualify for back-to-back Euros, that would be a huge achievement. And I'd, I'd love the performance that the fans can really get behind, albeit we only got a thousand in the ground. Um, but I'm sure they'll make a hell of a lot of noise and really spur us on. So I'm, I'm really excited, a bit of nerves, um, but quietly confident, I'd say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think quietly confident, Dave, is the is the sort of general feeling around this. I mean, especially with the, the news coming out of Slovakia in the last couple of days about injuries and, pos- and possible COVID tests. So Martin Skirtle was supposed to come back. Obviously, as three Liverpool supporters, we know all about him. 35-year-old Martin Skirtle um, was was due back. Vladimir Weiss and um, Thomas Hubechan as well, who are players that maybe we've seen at uh, at Euros and World Cups. Um you know household names for Slovakia. They they were all coming back, and and of course Lubotka and Skriniar, who who missed the last, uh, who missed the last, who missed the semi final against the Republic of Ireland, and um, because they had to isolate because a, a player in their club tested positive. Now there is a there is a story coming out from Football Italia today, which claims that Inter players along with five other clubs are banned from travelling due to Serie A protocol after a player from each club tested positive, and then there's another. Uh, report coming out of Slovakia that that doesn't apply to Milan Skriniar for some reason and he will join up tomorrow so nobody really knows what to believe but it is a bit of a makeshift Slovakia squads there are some big players out even if Skriniar does play Uh, and they're missing this firepower up front in in who who scores a lot of goals at club level he's very widely talked about in Europe as one of the up and coming young strikers it is going to be a game this where we're certainly going to have more of the ball than we did against uh, in Bosnia. Um, and you'd expect we'll, we'll have more of the ball anyway, you know, in this in this match. We'll have the, the Lions share possession. And how do you think that affects our, our approach to this? Like, should we try and fit more creative players in the team, try and get more pace in the team? Or do you think just sort of, and we will come on to talk about the lineup, or do you think there's an argument for just don't fix something that isn't broken.
2: The lads that played against B- Bosnia, let them go again. <sighs> Yeah, the second one, I think I think, yeah, everybody would like to see us go forward and, and that's it's it's almost that instinctive reaction to think that they're there for the take and we can go and we can go and get at them. But the reality is in that Northern Ireland team, we're not blessed with with players that are prolific in front of goal. So as it has been and as it probably always will be for our country is we we need to kind of try and come on the right side of the fine margins that happen and that comes with organisation, that comes with discipline, that comes with making sure that we're making the right decisions on the pitch, that comes with making sure that we have the few big hitters that we have free and available and performing at the highest level and making sure that we can capitalise on set pieces, um as we know we have been more than capable from over the last few years um the frustrating thing sometimes you know taking our chances when they come our way and we're probably not as clinical as we like to be but that kind of harks back to my previous point so i i don't expect to see a massively open game i'm kind of hoping that barakoff has maybe learned a bit of a lesson from the norway game where it got a little bit stretched and you know, that little extra bit of quality. We have a bit of quality at the back end of the pitch. Um, they had quality at the front end of the pitch. And when we opened the game up, we, we saw what happened. So I expect us to go out there and just, just do what we know best and play how we know how to play. And we're effective at it. And... We've got results from it, and we've overachieved playing that manner of football. So I don't expect it to be massively different than before.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, Pete, because we we saw in the last uh, in the last international break in general that Ian Baraclough isn't afraid to make big decisions. You know, we were expecting in that Bosnia game, I think everyone was expecting Connor Washington to start, George Savile to start out left, which had been done in the Nations League games and field, but they were they were sort of lauded as. The, all this preparation for bosnia so we didn't expect much to change but but loads changed like for example now McGinn comes in um, didn't get a minute in the nation's league in the previous in the previous break comes in does incredibly well obviously gets a goal and it's it's not like Barakov's just gonna gonna absolve himself for responsibility here shut his eyes and just play the same team that played bosnia and say well look wouldn't you all have done the same? Like he's, he's not partial area. He is partial to a sort of formation change, a bit of a mad call. Um, is there anything you expect in that, in that sort of mold on Thursday night? Um, You know, players, obviously different players playing for their clubs, different players in form for their clubs as well, um, which is something we haven't really had in quite a while. I mean, what do you expect sort of from Baraklough? Do you expect a, a controlled approach? Do you expect us to try and smash in the first 20 minutes? What, what are you thinking?
1: Well, I, I mean, over the, the few nations league games that he's had i think he's had an opportunity to test different players test a few different combinations tinker with the system a bit obviously looking back that sort of first half or second half of the first half and then the second half in bosnia is probably the best well it's the best football we've played under barclough full stop and that was with the sort of 4-3-3 formation but then when we saw the Nor the norway game mcguinness and washington formed a pretty effective partnership up top um, playing in a 3-5-2. So I'm not sure what he's going to go for, to be honest. I, I wouldn't be surprised, I wouldn't blame him if he stuck with the same sort of formation that we had in Bosnia. Um, but in terms of trying to create a few more chances, I think if he went for two up top playing Washington, who certainly is in a bit of form for Charlton, he scored a number of goals, um, I don't think it would be a bad decision at all going for two up top.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting debate, and Dave, we will come on to talk about that uh, in the second half of the podcast. When we we'll do the lineup and, uh, and the and the formation, we'll have a bit of a bit of a chat about that. But one player that we're not going to be able to bring off the bench, who was, in my opinion, quite effective in Bosnia, is Jordan Jones. So, like, if anyone's been living under a rock, Jordan Jones has been suspended by Rangers and placed in 14-day isolation after breaching COVID regulations. He basically attended a party uh, with teammate George Edmondson. Uh, Ian Baraclough, I think we'd all say on this podcast fairly sensibly hasn't called him up, hasn't gone against the the Rangers doctor's advice. It's it's so frustrating with Jordan Jones because this isn't the first incident, isn't it? And you know I I I messaged you um or we were we were chatting about it when it happened and it was just it's just so frustrating. This guy's twenty six. Like when's he gonna grow up
2: Yeah um I think I I, I don't know about Jordan Jones. I think And this is a very personal opinion, so apologies if this offends anyone. But Jordan Jones strikes me as a player whose arrogance far outweighs his ability. Um, He likes to have the image, he likes to have the good haircut, he likes to try and hit the ball like Ronaldo. One, there's no doubt about it, the boy has talent. You know, he absolutely does. How well um, funneled that talent is and how well channeled it is, I don't know. Um he he looks like he's got all the tools, but there's a reason at twenty six he never really featured in in any of O'Neill's squads, you know, let alone you know the first eleven. As an impact sub, great. Potentially can come on and, and pose a different dilemma for other teams to try and try and deal with. But the reality is, is has he really ever come on from Northern Ireland and, and made an impact? Has he come on and changed the game? No, I don't think so. He's he's a very very frustrating player. He gets his big move from Cumnock to Rangers at what twenty twenty four twenty five, um, and I get we're talking about Northern Ireland and we don't. It's not it's not like the pool of players that we have to pick from is is vast and wide. But at the same time, for me, Jordan Jones seems like a seems like a talented footballer that doesn't have the personality to get his head down and make the most of the ability that he's been given. And this latest incident doesn't do anything to disprove um, my thoughts on that. My feelings were that he wouldn't have started in the first place. If we're struggling, yeah, maybe bring him on as a bit of a wild card. Do I think he has the discipline to play for a side like like Northern Ireland? And, be really responsible with all those defensive duties that are so important um, in maintaining a tight ship at the back and trying to capitalise on the margins like I talked about earlier on. No, I don't think so. So I don't think it's a huge loss, but at the same time, he's got something that no one else has on our squad. You know, he's direct. He strikes the ball well. He is absolutely determined at going at the full-back um, and enjoys one-on-one scenarios. Um, so... It's a difficult one all in all for me personally I don't think he'll be massively missed and the fact he's not in the squad are we maybe losing out on 10-15 minutes at the end of the game if we're struggling might that have been where we've seen him I probably think so
0: yeah, I don't think anyone uh, is arguing that he would have started the game. Certainly, um, certainly after after the, especially because of the impact he had against uh, Bosnia. And Pete, just to come to you on this, like we talked on the on the post Romania pod, and we talked about, about the Austria game as well, where he started and he actually took a bit of stick from uh, from Northern Ireland fans in that Austria game. They were quite frustrated with him, but for me, he was he was like our only outlet there. He was the only player I thought, okay, you can actually take it past a couple of players and and fashion a chance here but as i say as i said to dave like it's in isolation pardon the pun this this incident could maybe be forgiven you know you could say he's he's young enough he's 26 he's young enough for a footballer he's you know you could maybe forgive this as a one-off you know these are testing times for everyone everyone's sort of made mistakes and he's not the first and won't be the last to breach regulations but it's the fact that it's happened before it's the fact that he was frozen out for more or less you know, well, nearly a year at Rangers as it was, and you know, I, I defended Jordan Jones a lot over that because I thought, I thought it was only to do with that tackle against Celtic, where he, he tried to, you know, he tried to throw one in on and Bayer and ended up injuring himself. But it, the more and more you read about Jordan Jones and the more and more things that come out about him basically being stupid, the more and more you think it was maybe a bit more than that. It was his attitude on the training ground and in terms of future nations league squad or future international squad sorry and um, barraclough has to make a decision doesn't he really as the as the as the what what impact is he having on the squad on the on the morale you know if, if he's just coming in and, and he's, he's working hard and he's uh um and he's applying himself then no problem and if these things these stupid things are just outside of football then you can sort of forgive it but It'll be interesting to see if, uh, if 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 he's if he's basically selected for Northern Ireland in the next in the next, well he's not for these ones but in the next European qualifiers as well or whether this is something that Barakoff's just done with him with.
1: Yeah, I mean my attitude towards Jordan Jones is pretty similar to what you and Dave have had to say. It's the overriding emotion is frustration. I mean this is clearly a guy who's got uh, talent. He's got abilities and qualities that we don't really see uh, throughout the rest of the Northern Ireland squad and every time I see him named in a squad on the bench I, I expect this I keep thinking to myself this guy could come on and change the game or do something a bit different and be exciting so it's really frustrating but if Gerard is started, is questioning his temperament and where his priorities are and if Barclas the same I think that he does have to make a call if that's going to hinder the squad in any way um hold his back with a poor attitude um it's definitely a decision Barclough is going to have to make i think in terms of his impact in games you know he's, he's come on he's he's looked a bit dangerous he he does have an insistence in trying to take on the fullback which is something we definitely don't always have but as a nation we don't pin our hopes on him so by have not having him in the squad i don't think it changes anything too dramatically Especially considering when we played against Bosnia, our best bet in the game, he wasn't on the pitch. So I don't think we'll miss him hugely in terms of our starting setup. It's just we may, it might have been nice to have or to have had him on the bench to call upon if we needed to change the game up. So it's just really frustrating. Um, and I just hope he sorts out whatever's going on off the pitch. Because I think he, he could be a useful player for Northern Ireland in the future. I wouldn't rule him out just yet. We don't have a huge pool of players. So we probably have to be a bit more lenient in terms of giving players chances, especially if they try and make amends for whatever errors they may have done in their past. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah just one more, just, sorry, just, ahead, one ahead, more thing on, just one more thing on Jones. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about his situation. He, you know, He's 26. He's, he's had a couple of loan spells here and there. He, he's, he goes to Kilmarnock. And he's, he's a great season and gets his big move to Rangers and starts to feature in the Northern Ireland side. And this arguably is the biggest game of his career. The biggest game of his career. Playoff, Winter Park, to go and play. And let's just put this into context here. It's not just this game, it's that thought of I'm going to go and play in the European Championships. And he can't sit in the house on his PlayStation. For a night to make sure that nothing goes wrong with that opportunity that he gets and that for me that's just not acceptable it just isn't in any realm
0: yeah yeah no completely agree and uh, like i doubt he'll play for rangers again after how harsh gerrard was him the first uh, was on him the first time now you'd think Gerrard'll, and, uh, and let's not forget you know he. To give him credit, he, he worked hard to get back into that Rangers side. He was completely frozen out. He was training with the under-21s. He wasn't getting a kick even in even in like cup games or anything like that. And he worked his way back in. He got his well. He seemed to get his head down in the training ground and uh, and showed Gerard what what ability he has. And, I think it was striking, just to come back to you, and Dave, and that, uh, Dave, and this one will finish um, We'll finish in Jordan Jones here. I think it was striking. In the game, he comes back in after about a year. I think it's his first start in, in like 16 months or something ridiculous. He comes in and he scores a goal and he's brilliant. But Gerard was asked about him after the game and he said, that's the Jordan Jones we know and love. That's, that's the real Jordan Jones. I won't settle for anything else, uh, anything other than the real Jordan Jones. I think that just speaks volumes doesn't it it's that that's a clear message to him that he's not applying himself every week he's not putting it in he's not consistently putting these performances in and it's difficult because rangers is a very high pressure club isn't it you know that the pressure especially this season to try and stop celtics 10 in a row is just massive these players are either going to be heroes or bottlers and that's going to define their whole career and it looks like uh, it looks like Jones won't play any any further part in it. But maybe if he does, you know, he's talked about this as haven't been his dream move before. If he loses that and he actually has to sit down and take a pay cut and think, right, okay, you know, I'm 26 here. I've just messed up the biggest move of my career. What do I do from here? We could get a, an attitude change. But he strikes me like I read a I read an article um about about his sort of uh, and it, it was actually a, an interview with him and he talked about his previous mistakes he's made and how he got the head down but he strikes me as a type of guy who like i don't know when when i'm studying or when i'm working i feel like i'm very good at sort of writing down my schedule color coding it and saying what i'll actually do on each day i'm not very good at actually doing it and i think that's maybe what jordan jones he's he's a bit all talk as you say isn't he
2: yeah i think th- i think the term is self-destructive um decision making uh, on the pitch isn't great (laughs) sometimes but like in general life he seems to really struggle with that and he seems to be an impulsive guy and we see you you often see with these maverick football players that are unpredictable it it kind of mirrors their personality but I just think in this in the way football is in this day and age there needs to be a lot more professionalism applied to the way he's approaching his 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 profession at the moment. And you know, I think if he is given another chance for for Rangers for Northern Ireland, either or, or both, we'll all sit back and we'll reflect and like we say, he's not a kid anymore. He's not nine, he's not a nineteen, and we're thinking, Do you know what, he'll learn from this, he'll grow up. He's twenty-six, he's coming twenty-seven, you know. I, I, I would be very, very surprised if that sort of pattern of behaviour changes at this stage of his career, which is really disappointing for someone who, as Pete says, has clearly got a lot of talent.
0: Yeah, completely agree. I think you've summed that up perfectly there. But, Peter, one player that I guess is on the complete other end of the spectrum from Jordan Jones is, is Corey Evans. This is a guy who definitely doesn't have the talent or the mercurial ability of jordan jones but he applies himself day in day out and he's hes really i mean i i didn't rate this guy three or four years ago i don't know whether it was just my ignorance whether you know i don't know whether he's actually changed his international form or or whether it's just i've started noticing him a bit more but i think in the last like three or four years i would say He's really come into his own internationally. He's really secured a a role in in these Northern Ireland sides, whether it be for Michael O'Neill or Ian Baraclough. And obviously, as as, as we're saying, the news at the weekend is that he's he's been substituted after five minutes uh, with a hamstring injury and it's been confirmed that he'll miss this game and the Nations League games as well. I mean, how big a blow is that to Northern Ireland's hopes of
1: making the Euros? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think... If you weigh up missing Jordan Jones and missing Corey Evans, which one I'm more annoyed about? I mean, it, without a shadow of a doubt, it's missing Corey Evans. Um, probably quite similar to you, Andy, in the fact that maybe a few years ago, I just didn't appreciate the role that he had in the team. But O'Neill seemed to trust him, played him in important games. And I suppose recently I've tried to pay a bit more attention to what he does, and he, he works tirelessly. He's pretty clever in the positions he takes up in terms of the defensive setup. As a player, we we massively rely upon in terms of nullifying um, far superior teams in terms of footballing ability, like the Netherlands, uh, like the Germans, for example, when he comes in, he does a fantastic role and a pretty vital role for us. So I think, I mean, we've a few players who can come in and hopefully they can replicate the job he does, but it certainly is a big disappointment not to have him in the squad. Um, And I do hold my hands up and Will say a few years ago, I wouldn't have had this opinion. I would have just glossed over the, his admission or him not making the squad. So, yeah, I'm very disappointed about it.
0: Yeah, and and Dave Corey Evans. If you'd have said maybe five years ago Corey Evans would be first choice to play right wing in a playoff final at home, you would have been laughed at, wouldn't you? But he's he's really made that position his own in certain games. And okay, sometimes you you don't want him there, say. In games where, um, I don't know, against Estonia, Belarus, San Marino, etc., you want an night winger out and right there, but... As Pete says, in these games against Germany and Holland, especially when the the, um, the quality is really focused in the centre of the park, he's got enough energy to sort of play both of those positions, doesn't he? He can get out right and offer and, and give an option and press out there, but also naturally sort of comes in a bit deeper and we're able to smother mid, very good midfields uh, with Corey Evans in there, helping out Davis McNair and Saville or Thompson if he's playing. You know, it, it is a big blow, and especially because Hamshik still seems to be the main man for Slovakia. Even though he's gone over to I think it's China or Japan to to play now, he's he's still somebody who's going to pick up the ball in the center of the park and pull strings. And having Corey Evans in this game would have would have certainly um, would have certainly given us a much better chance of nullifying. And where do you sort of stand in Corey Evans?
2: Evans is Evans is one of those players where, uh, as football fans, we tend to view football through the lens of ninety minutes on the football pitch and um who stands out you know who scores goals who crosses the ball well who plays the killer pass and um there's there's a reason why Corey Evans plays a lot of football and it's the same kind of reason in my eyes as to why when under Ferguson Man United played big games you saw Darren Fletcher and Junksy Park playing because they're absolutely trusted to do exactly what the manager wants them to do. Okay, they might not be the most technically gifted players in the world. They might not be able to thread a pass through an eye of a needle, but when it comes to working in a system, um, and as we know, we are not the best side in the world, far from it. So it's important that if the manager has a plan that needs to be executed to a T in order for us to stand any chance of getting a result from a game, Corey Evans is one of those players that the manager can look at and go, you know, you're only as good as you're going to be and that's fine. But I know looking around this team, you're one of the boys that I can absolutely 100% trust to go out and do exactly what I want you to do, both with the ball and more importantly for us, without the ball. So that's a blow. His tactical awareness is obviously very good. You know, he, he, he does a job, he sacrifices himself for the team and it will it will be a blow. It will be a blow, and every blow in the midfield seems um, a bit more fatal since since Norwood's retirement, which is a separate frustration for me. But it just as a, it's almost an insult the injury in that area of the pitch, particularly for for games like this.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't have put that better myself, Pete. It's it's one of those what I always think about Corey Evans. One of his biggest strengths, I think is that he actually knows his limitations, right? So when he's put out the right wing, he's not thinking, right, I'm going to skin this guy and whip a cross in. He's not thinking, you know, i got going to cut inside and have a shot here. He knows he just has to drop it back to the centre mids. He knows he has to maybe try and find Washington or McGuinness or whoever's playing up front, and that's, that's so important. Like, he knows he knows exactly what he can do and what he can't do, and he focuses so heavily on what he can do, and that really helps us. But the question I sort of I, I want to finish up on here before we go to uh, an interview is that would he? Is he as big a miss as what he would have been in Bosnia? As I say, we are going to have more of the ball here. We are going to, um, the Slovakian defence is going to be a bit deeper given their age, as as we'll come on to talk about. But is it such a bad thing that maybe on the right here, especially because we know McNair can chip in with goals, we know Savile's been playing in a more advanced position for Middlesbrough. Is it a case that on the right maybe we could just go for two out-and-out wingers and get away from it in a, from a defensive perspective
1: in this game? Oh, it's, a, it's a difficult one to know. Like you say, I do anticipate that we'll probably have the ball a bit more, especially if we're at home and we put out a decent, well, best team that we have available to us. Um, I, hmm, I'd, I'd like to see two out-and-out wingers, if I'm honest which probably doesn't involve Evans. I would have played him in the three. So I suppose in that regard, he by not starting Evans, we can be a bit more attacking. Um, you'd hope we create a few more chances, but we we would lose a bit of that uh, defensive shape and uh, rigidness that teams find difficult to break down. I suppose you mentioned earlier, Slovakia are probably without their, their best striker. Um and I'm not too sure who else they have apart from Hamšík in terms of attacking threat. The
0: uh, the the reports so, coming out of Slovakia tend to genuinely suggest that they might go 4-6-0 for this game. They were very defensive against Ireland, uh, or sorry, the Republic of Ireland. Somebody told me off for that. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so, so it seems like they're gonna they're gonna go very deep here and try and play for penalties.
1: I mean, if they do that, I I mean you've got to play wingers then, don't you? If they're gonna sit back and defend the whole game, you've got to try and. Uh, get round. I assume they'll play very tight. You've got to get round them um, and put crosses into the box. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd offer the, the two wingers then if that's the case. Okay,
0: well, it's an interesting debate. We are going to come on to talk about the lineup in the second part of the podcast. Uh, so, we'll get stuck into that. But just now, we're going to go to an interview with Slovakian football journalist Lukas Rablik. I'm delighted now to be joined by Lukas Rablik, Slovakian football journalist thank you so much for coming on and um, this is a, a really massive game for Slovakia as well sometimes Northern Ireland fans I mean how do I put this sometimes we think our our fairy tale is the only fairy tale but Slovakia as well is a nation that doesn't always qualify for these major tournaments and I think you've only maybe qualified for two uh, ever since you became an independent nation and an independent footballing nation as well and um, so just how big would this be for Slovakia, for the people of Slovakia, for football supporters in Slovakia to qualify for Euro 2020?
3: Well, hello, thanks for your invitation. Uh, well, yeah, you are right. Uh, Slovakia has been only at two major tournaments uh, so far at the World Cup in 2010 and uh, at the Euros for years ago. So basically they were kind of uh, the small brother from from the former Czechoslovakia with Czech Republic getting all the all the success at the turn of the century with their golden generation of players, and Slovakia was always like um, it belonged basically to the second class of of European countries uh, regarding football. And that probably changed over the last decade with with Slovakia getting pretty pretty good results, um, and they have managed to beat you know, like Spain in in the Euro qualifiers, Italy at the World Cup, Germany in the friendly games. So. Uh, they, also, also had a good generation of players, um, so yeah, these Euros would be a uh, good achievement for for them as well. Um, it, it's it's uh, basically the thing that that the the, the squad went uh, through kind of generation change over the last two years or three years. So the fans were patient at the start of it um, due to a lot of experienced players gradually leaving the team, but. Uh, right now, um, Slovakia hasn't played well for uh, over over the last one year or so, uh, and fans real, realized that, and they were uh, quite uh, kind of disappointed by that. Um, the uh, got under big pressure. Uh, his name is Pavel, Pavel Hapal, and despite getting through a semi final, he he uh, he was you know thrown out. Uh, so for the final game, we have a new coach, uh, so far interim coach, yeah. and fans are kind of uh, they expect Slovakia um, to win, but they wouldn't be surprised if they lost against Nor- Northern Ireland. It's it's always like that in Slovakia. It's kind of mentality thing, probably that uh, that uh, that they expect them to win, but they, at the same time they don't believe in them. So <laughs> I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, yeah, so. yeah,
0: I, I I'm kind of, I kind of understand you. Yeah, sort of always the underdogs in games. So similar to Northern Ireland, small, small enough population, small pool of resources to choose from. Um, we actually we we recorded our part of the podcast on Sunday night, um, and Sunday was a bit of a mad day in terms of news for this fixture. We had some injuries to Northern Ireland players, and then there was this mad report on Football Italia that uh, that some Inter Milan players would have to self-isolate after one of their players was uh, in, co- in close contact with somebody who had contracted coronavirus. Uh, and it seemed as though on, on Sunday afternoon that that Milan was going to miss this game. Uh, but the reports from Slovakia seem to be that he has is, he is actually joined up with the squad and he will be available. Uh, what's the sort of latest on that? Do you, do you expect him to play on Thursday night?
3: Yeah, he should be playing. Um, the, the news were uh, kind of, uh, it was a mistake from uh, Football Italia, I think uh, that, that was the original source of that um, basically they, they stated that the players from several Italian teams wouldn't come for international games and that, that it included uh, Milan um, Scrinia it's probably kind of uh, I'm not really expert on Italy coronavirus situation, but uh, I think there, there, were, there were some problems with, uh, with uh, local health authorities um creating some rules for uh for players to go abroad but uh skriniar came on sunday evening or at least um traveled from italy on sunday sunday evening after the after his game for inter uh and he was normally uh on monday in in slovakia to have a training session uh he had some covid testing as well so um, there, there was no problem with that. I also watched his interview uh, on Monday evening for Slovak media, where where he said he basically didn't know uh, anything about not coming. So it was kind of a rumor only. Also, also the club uh, Inter uh, didn't make any problems with that. So I don't really know where that that did that came from, but. But it made uh, a little bit of panic in in Slovakia on Sunday evening because uh, Milan Skriniar is the leader of the wall defense um, after retirement uh, international retirement of Martin Skrtel uh, and without Skriniar we would uh, we would have a big problem to uh, to to find the, the back four uh, because that, that has been a problem in October games as well where Skriniar was missing due to uh, testing positive for COVID, so uh, it, it would be a big, big problem to replace him. Uh, the, the other players in the defense are not so good as him, I mean in the central defense. Uh, the new coach even um, convinced Tomáš Hubočan, the left back, who played uh, for years for the national team, uh, to return uh, in, into the team, because he retired uh, last year. Uh, as well in, uh, in the same game as Škrtěl did, uh, but the new coach uh, convinced him to return because we had uh, we have su- su- such a big problem with, with the defense. So and Martin Škrtěl actually should have returned as well, but uh, he got injured over the weekend or or last week uh, in Turkey. So he's not coming. But but yeah, everybody is pleased. Skuniar uh, should be playing. Uh, it's important for for the game plan. Yeah, that was actually
0: the next question that I was going to come on to. So like, I posted on the, on the Facebook page that Skirtle was going to be injured at the weekend and, you know, because Skirtle spent, I think, nearly 10 years at Liverpool, everyone in the UK sort of knows him. Everyone over here supports a Premier League team and we're all we- well aware of Martin Skirtle. But who do you expect then to come in to centre-half or do you expect Thomas Hubichan to play centre-back and a left-back to come in? I mean, left-back is a has been quite a big... Problem position for Slovakia, from what I hear from you, uh, in the last couple of in the last couple of years. And the guy, I think it's Mazan, plays against the Republic of Ireland, who's playing at quite a low level in the Czech Republic. And there, there's going to be at least one member of the back four who is either quite inexperienced or playing at quite a low level at club level. Is that a is that a worry for you? Uh, do you see that as a weakness that Northern Ireland could potentially exploit?
3: Mm, well, mm, now the the head coach has quite a, possi- a lot of possibilities mm, due to uh, Hubochan returning. Uh, Hubochan is originally a centre back. He is even right-footed, but they turned him turned him into left back uh, when, when he was at Marseille. And national team coach Jan Kozak, who left uh, in two, two years ago, uh, he mm, he also started using him there. Uh, his his uh, advantages uh, that as a former centre back, he's kind of uh, defensively defensively minded. So he's uh, he kind of uh, brings defensive stability to, to the left back's position. He doesn't go up so so much to support the defense. He he just uh, focuses on on, uh, on the on the defense. So so he so he can be playing as left back. But there is also possibility with David Hansko, who is back after after injury. Uh, he has played the last game for Sparta Prague and uh, he was kind of first choice of Pavel Hapal uh, at that left-back position and Mazan, uh, who played against Ireland, um, was a kind of uh, emergency, um, emergency player, uh, because there was a lack of players uh, on that position, but now probably there are three or four players even because there is Lukáš Paušek from Slovan, Bratislava also, so yeah, there are there are uh, a couple of um, options on that left-back position, but to be honest, I don't really know who I would like there, there to play, probably the best one is Hubočan, who is the most experienced, but David Hansko also adds that uh, offensive dimension um, uh, to the game, so he can also support the attack uh, properly. But on the other side, he's not as defensively strong as as Hubočan is. So I don't really know who the coach uh, op- opts out for. Uh, I think uh, it's very improbable that he he would use Hubo as centre-back. He hasn't played in the national team as a centre-back for years. Uh, actually, um. Mm, he, once in the past, he made a kind of centre-back partnership with Skrtel, but that, that, that was a long time ago because Skrtel usually played with Jan Jurica. Um, uh, Skrtel w- would be a great addition to the defense, to you know, to, to strengthen it because uh, he has been a leader for for years, and that would mean a mental uh, improvement for for the for the other teammates as well. So. Uh, it's a big pity that he's not coming uh for for the game uh i really wanted him to to play i i think he 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 would be a big uh acquisition for for the team uh yeah uh he was at times a little bit also mistake prone uh, mistake, um mistake prone uh, so <laughs> as probably fans would remember his. uh His tackle at at uh, attacker in at Euros, where he uh, he elbowed basically uh, his opponent in the penalty area, and Welsh Welsh fans were um, angry. Uh, Wells were not given a penalty, so uh, at times he does stuff like that. But for one thing like that, he always uh, does uh, like ten great things. uh, Some defensive clearances. He is very dominant in the air. Uh, and also he's kind of reliable in, in the defence and that has been a problem with uh, uh central-back partners, especially Denis Vavro uh, from Lazio, uh, who, who, sh- who will not be playing now, but, but he did a lot of mistakes in the defence. Uh, but, but they tried, tried to uh, get Martin Valiant from Mallorca involved. Uh, and and uh, he looks like uh, he would be a good partner for skrinyar in the upcoming months. It's kind of centre-back partnership I can really uh, uh, imagine. Um, also at the Euros, they are both uh, quality centre-backs. So, okay. yeah, yeah, that, 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 it has been a big concern with defense, but but I think it's not as bad. Also without Schreiner, but it would be better with Schreiner
0: okay and and at the other end of the pitch Robert Bozenich apologies about the pronunciation is is missing for this game as well I mean he was the sort of big Slovakian hope uh, up front. He was the guy that was going to provide the goals, wasn't he? And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Duda plays up front against the Republic of Ireland. And it, as, I think, as you said, it, it was kind of like a 4-6-0 where um, there's a lot of technical midfield players in there, but no real focal point. I mean, is that a worry for you? Like, where are the goals going to come from for Slovakia if they do score? Uh, and and I guess the other question is, is Marek Hamsik still the as good a player as as what we all know from his days in Napoli?
3: Well, I, I will start with uh, Robert Boženik. Um, He's is, uh, you know, the best striker Slovakia has had since Robert Vitek. Uh, Robert Vitek was a star at World Cup 2010. Uh, he scored four goals there, but um, then injuries kind of stopped him at the ed- end of his career. And uh, since then, Slovakia has been missing a real central forward. Uh, Boženik broke through uh, two years ago in in Žilina uh, in Slovak league. Um, he he was a really talented a talented boy, and uh, the national team coach Hapal um, didn't hesitate to immediately throw him into the starting lineup of the national team. Probably he wasn't fully prepared for that uh, back then, but, but he just proved to himself that he's good enough. Uh, he, he's a really talented boy. Uh, he's really quick. Uh, also good in the um, in the duels against uh, the, the opposition centre backs. Uh, he has good, you know, uh, sense for for the plays. He, he's really good. He has been. Um, also, also he made a good partnership with Marek Hamšík as, as our playmaker. Uh, so there are. Uh, a lot of uh, strengths of him. He also at Feyenoord uh, he worked very closely with Robin van Persie, and it kind of uh, it kind of uh, improved him a lot. I, I think uh, it was immediately visible in few months that that, that uh, van Persie like uh, had a kind of co- coaching role at Feyenoord and it really improved Bojanik. So yeah, that's a problem for Slovakia now. Even if Hapal didn't involve him in uh, the starting lineup against Ireland, mm-hmm. where he opted for uh, Andrej Duda as, as a false nine, yeah, it's correct to say that it was four six nil because uh, in in the graphics uh, Duda was the guy up front. But Andrej Duda, as as Norwich fans know, he's um, he's a kind of attacking midfielder or. Um, oh, he is not even a second striker. I wouldn't call him that. So he's something like Marek Hamšík. So basically, they po- played two uh, two similar players, Hamšík and Duda, uh, up front, uh, with with Duda being the the guy most ad- in most advanced position. But uh, he's he's very far from a proper central forward, and it w- it was visible in, in the game against Ireland as he often like shifted um, a, li- a little bit. He dropped a little bit back and there, there was uh, one man missing in the opponent's um, penalty area, so, so yeah, uh, probably they are not, not used to playing like that because Slovakia has, has often played uh, 4-6-0 but it was mostly against strong opposition like Spain or Germany or s- somebody like that but not uh, against Ireland who are probably comparable side Absolutely comparable side, so I don't really know uh, how they will do it against Northern Ireland uh, given uh, Boženik is injured mm-hmm. uh, There are uh, three strikers in uh, in the squad for, for the game Judy, Shafranco and Mraz But not, not only one is in a good form so I wouldn't be surprised to see another 4-6-0 mm, formation, but don't really know because Northern Ireland are not, not as strong uh, for Slovakia, as, as those um, big teams like Spain. But you know, Tarkovic is also uh, the coach, Tarkovic is uh, the former assistant of Jan Kozak, who kind of pioneered this formation uh, for Slovakia. So everything's possible. And with Slovakia having so many good midfielders, it would definitely make make sense to uh, to to again do that uh, 4 6 0 formation. Uh, because th- they would have to sacrifice somebody from the midfielders. Mm, I can definitely imagine that, but probably it would be necessary for uh, the guy who would be up, fr- up front, um, maybe Duda, uh, to to be to be kind of really up front. Uh, you know what I mean? Like like. Uh, he he sh- he should be in um, he should have that movement uh, as a forward, not a midfielder. Yeah. that would be necessary against Northern Ireland. And and when it comes to Hamšik's question, yeah, he, he's just as good as he has been at Napoli. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately for you, <laughs> he um yeah probably he's not as as his peak uh, uh he not at his peak as uh, at the Euros uh, four years ago uh but but there is some of of china of playing in china but yes. but, uh, but but he um, it 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 wasn't shown as much uh as i worried uh when in in the time when he transferred there because uh i thought his uh, level would drop a little bit uh because of not playing in the strong league but he's just a so much professional guy and hardworking guy that that he plays really well. And international team, um, I kind of uh, always compare it to the role uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic had for Sweden, or um, or Lewandowski has now for Poland. That he's the only world-class guy in, in the team, and everyone around him kind of relies uh, on him uh, at at what he creates at uh, um, at at uh, you know he's, he's the main um, brain in the team. He just creates everything. So without him, the game plan is always um, a big mess. So we uh, Slovakia had quite a luck with him because Hamšík ha, ha, didn't have any serious injury for years. So he has been leading the team as a captain. Uh, they are really reliable on him, dependent on him. And uh, at the other side, there that's uh, a kind of uh, tactical weakness because uh, uh, when, when you stop Hamšík, Slovakia, I have big problems uh, with with creativity. So, but but he's not really easy to stop. <laughs> That's the other part of the story. So probably the Zlatan or Lewandowski comparison, uh, it, it's it's really it's it's really not a, a exaggeration in my opinion. Uh, probably it's something similar with Josip Iličić in Slovenia national team. Yeah, uh, it's really um, very very similar thing. So yeah, Marek Hamšík is still the guy who who is our best player, and I I think that he can play for two or three years, but it depends on him.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting because he was he was a player I really admired at Napoli. I think he I think he ends up with a hundred goals. I think he's maybe their record goal scorer, either record goal scorer, or record appearance maker, and obviously. Has uh, we we're celebrating Steve Davis at the minute for Northern Ireland, who is the most British, uh, who's the most capped British outfield player. But Mara Kamšik actually has one more international cap than him, so that just puts into perspective how much of a legend he is for Slovakia as well. I guess. Uh, last question before I ask you for a score prediction for this game, Lucas. How do you think that that? And I know you said like obviously Tarkovic has come in and we we don't know exactly how he's going to play with this side, but. How do you expect him to set up? Do you expect Northern Ireland to have a bit more of the ball, a bit more of the pressure and Slovakia to try, sort of maybe try and soak that up and hit Northern Ireland on the break? Or, or do you think Slovakia will, will actually try to be a little bit more positive than perhaps they were under Pavel Hapal? And do you think maybe if you if Slovakia were offered penalties right now, would they take it?
3: You mean like if, if it would be possible for them to go into penalty shutout, if they would take it? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah straight away. Uh, would, would, you, would you accept penalties if I offered it to you right now? Uh, mm, I don't really know about that, but it's kind of lottery always. Uh, we had the luck against uh, Ireland. I was surprised by how much our penalty ke- takers were confident because uh, Gregush's penalty kick went straight in the, into the middle. And Randolph even even got hand of, on it, so <laughs> it was kind of crazy. So I don't really know, but uh, I think that Slovakia has a quality to win uh, in uh, 90 minutes as well. Um, but at the same time, I don't really think that they would open it a lot uh, against Northern Ireland. I I would say that they would uh, they would rely on s- secure defense anyway. So, probably they will wait for counter-attacks, but I don't really see it happening with with Northern Ireland that they would be dominating the game, I don't really know. It's kind of… I would say that both sides, in my opinion, would have a very similar approach, they would be focused on defense. I don't really expect it to be kind of an exciting game. No, definitely, uh, not. So, definitely not. So, it's gonna be a game about one goal or something like that, so… I don't really expect Slovakia to open a lot or anything. So mm, I, I would say that they would re- rely on counterattacks, so and they will play either in 4-6-0 formation or 4-2-3-1 formation. But not really a kind of offensively minded. I, I wouldn't expect that, but, but I would say that Slovakia has bigger quality in the midfield. Uh, they they are they are quite comfortable with, with the ball on their feet, um, and and Marinkamcic really is good in that. Play, as as a playmaker, he often drops uh, deeper or goes into attack. He changes the the position. So uh, it it also depends on how good he will be playing. But but uh, given uh, given the given the characteristics of of Slovakian offensive players. Uh, as as we have a, a kind of a good wingers right now, uh, I would say that they would rely on counter attacks. It's most sensible strategy. I can see it. Okay, and uh, just before you go, give me a score prediction. How do you think this is gonna go? Hmm. I don't know. One nil for uh, Slovakia, and I think that uh, either Vladimir Vyse, uh, who returns for to the national team after two years. Uh, either he scores or, or the newcomer in, into the team who has never played for the national team it's uh, Tomáš Suslow from Kroningen. uh He is a star of our under 21 national uh, team and the uh, fans um, re- really wanted him to play in the senior team and he just go- got his first call-up uh, into the senior team. So these are type, type of games that uh, decisive games or important games for Slovakia, like playoff against Northern Ireland, uh, and always in games like this, uh, some unexpected goal scorer comes. So I, I would, uh, <laughs> I would put my money on these two, because also when Slovakia played for uh, in the qualification of of World Cup uh, 2010, they had problem um, to find a goal scorer uh, and and the, the team was kind of uh, decimated back then by a lot of uh, absentees. And who scored the goal uh, against Poland uh, that, that we needed, the game ended 1-0. It was uh, Polish centre-back, uh, Severin <laughs> Gansarczyk, who just put put the ball into his own net. And in the big games for Slovakia, it has been always like that. It's not Marek Hamsik or whoever, but it's somebody who... Uh, who isn't really expected to, to score so i wouldn't be surprised for tomasz hubochan to score uh the only goal that anyone would remember in his uh, national team career so I I would I would I would say that one 0 for Slovakia, but with, with some unexpected goal scorer.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talk about an unexpected goal scorer for Northern Ireland. That's any of the eleven, to be honest. <laughs> we we've serious problems up front. But listen, Lucas, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for coming on, and and good luck uh, to the
3: Slovakian national team after Thursday night. <laughs> you did. You don't really mean it. Uh, but but uh, but yeah, I I just think that. It would be good uh, if the better team um, qualified, um, but I, I I just hope that Slovakia is is the team. Uh, I uh, I'm I'm quite uh, confident for uh, for Slovakia to go through because they always try try in circumstances like, like this that uh, they they are not really expected to win. The mood isn't really positive among the fans. Uh, the players are criticized a lot. There there is some mess. And and in um, in the position like this, when they are not clear, clear favorites, they always kind of do something good. So I, I, I just think that that they are in mm, they they have a good chance. But they, at the same time, I, I always liked Northern Ireland team uh, that we haven't discussed, but uh, players like Stephen Davies or Paddy McNair and uh, these kind of players. I I think that uh, they are really mm, a good team. I also liked your uh, former coach uh, Michael O'Neill uh, yeah. for 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 his work. So I think it's really um, uh, a team I I can sympathize with. Uh, all, also, they just give all, all all they can do in every game. It's mentally like that with with probably almost it, it, with with everything from British Iceland. But I just think that Northern Ireland uh, ha, has been really good, even if. They they are um, often uh, considered to be underdogs, so so I I'm I'm looking forward to to this game, but Slovakia has a good chance, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. And uh, you know what? It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a very tight game, if not a very exciting one. Thank you very much for coming on, uh, and we'll go back to to me and the guys uh, Dave and Pete, and we'll be chatting about the Northern Ireland lineup. Thank you. Massive thanks to Lucas Frablik for his time there. Um. Dave I'll come to you first on the lineup um, we live in unprecedented times no I'm not talking about coronavirus I'm not talking about Trump I'm talking about two Northern Ireland strikers in form <laughs> Connor Washington has five goals this season and Josh McGuinness has three um, Washington in the past has been probably offers us a little bit more in terms of off the ball but maybe Josh McGuinness is that little bit more clinical who are you going for on Thursday night
2: Yeah, it's a strange one. We were talking about Josh McGuinness being more clinical than another centre-forward we have then. (laughs) That kind of sums up where we have been the center forwards for for probably the majority of the existence of football in Northern Ireland. But um, it's a a really difficult one. I think they've they've both got their attributes. There's no doubt about it. They both work incredibly hard. And as a football fan, for me, talent's fantastic and I'd love to see players with talent, but as long as I see somebody going out and knocking their panel on the pitch, I'm happy with that. And the pair of them both do it. So I think, I suppose it depends what Barclough is expecting. If he's expecting to be able to press from the front then Washington's probably your guy. I think we've seen him in those games where we know the opposition is going to have a fair bit of possession and he can go and disrupt them building from the back. From what we've been hearing and what we kind of expect, given injuries lineup, a new manager, etc., cetera, et cetera, um, if they're going to be a bit more cautious, then maybe you just throw McGuinness in as the batter and ram, if you like to kind of make things difficult for them in the penalty area and maybe trying to pick up on some scraps and things like that. But at the same time, whether we go 3-5, three, three, whether we go three-five-two 2 or 4-5-1 or 4-3-3 or, four, five, one, or four, three, three, whatever, I I can see a number of scenarios where McGuinness maybe starts sort of at the right-hand side and Washington through the middle. So it might not be that that much of a debate in the manager's head is maybe we're thinking about it now.
0: Yeah, that, that's an interesting one there. Uh, a couple of points that, that Dave brings up there. Pete, um, first of all is McGinnis on the right. Like we obviously actually Barraclough starts with that in his first game before McGuinness gets sent off for not elbowing a Romanian player. And Dave also sort of mentions information there as well, which is which is something you brought up in the first part of the podcast. Um so 3-5-2, we, we play it in the second half against Norway when they're already 3-1 up. And I think a lot of people are are quite averse to it based on that game. Um, but in in Norway, in Norway it worked really well, didn't it? Especially it, it gave those three centre-halves a lot of protection. Tom Flanagan, who's not, who's not broadly speaking, isn't an international quality centre-half. Dan Ballard, who's very good, but he's very young. And Conor McLaughlin playing out of position, it gave us so much protection in there. I mean... Is there an argument to go 352 for this game and I suppose contrary to Norway where it was all about Swart and Holland and it was all about trying to get a point maybe we'll have to take the game more to them to to the Slovakians in this one than we did over there so maybe that's a maybe that's a a, a mark in the in the box of 433 I don't know what do you think
1: yeah, well, I think with the 3-5-2 that we played in Norway, I mean, it obviously was designed to give the defence as much protection as possible in front of Saville, and also to try and make us a bit more competitive with the personnel who we had available. Um, and it, it did work, although in terms of creating chances, there weren't too many. I know Washington McGuinness had a few in the first half, but it sort of petered out. Um, if we played three at the back and played with wing-backs, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Lewis and Dallas get a bit further forward. On that formation, would give them a bit of a licence because I think they're two of our most effective attacking players. I know they normally start right back and left back, but they have that quality um, and can get decent deliveries in, especially if Slovakia play that deep line defensive shape. Um, and also, I, I think I'd like to see Washington start. He's obviously he's in the better goal-scoring form. Um, and if we want to press, obviously Washington can lead that from the front. Um, I know in, Bo- in Bosnia we didn't expect to have that much of the ball and we wanted an outlet, um, a sort of target man, which Josh does really well. Um, but he could possibly do a similar role playing on the right in a 4-3-3, uh, as David mentioned. I know O'Neill played that a few times, Barrick probably started it. So. I think we have a, a few options. I'd probably go with the, the 4-3-3 and play McGuinness on the right, actually. i take back playing with two out-and-out wingers. I think that's a decent idea. Dave reminded me about that sort of tactic that we've used previously. So I'd, I'd offer for 4-3-3, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, Dave, It's just, just, just briefly sort of do the formation as well and then we'll bring it back to the Washington versus McGuinness debate because I, uh, I think we all probably are going to end up going for 4 3 3 here. But... I do want to see three, five, two at some stage in this international break in one of the last two Nations League games, preferably away to Austria where we're going to have to give a load of guys a rest and we're going to have to give a load of young players or players who aren't up to the quality a lot of protection. But just on the, the point that Pete makes about, about Dallas and Lewis, it, it is a good point that they are attacking fullbacks and maybe that will give them a bit more license to, to attack in that formation. However, sometimes it doesn't quite work that way. Sometimes attacking fullbacks don't quite... Um, have that have that same impact when they're pushed into into wing back and I, I can't really explain it, but one thing I know is that uh, the team I play for back home played a three five two in a bit of pre season, and I was at right wing back for a game, and you have to cover that whole side, and I've got a bit of a tara around me. I'm not the fittest guy in the world, so like it, it is a really hmm. really big ask of of those two. Um, do you think it's if it's not something you want to play in Slovakia? And obviously we are centering this podcast, or sorry, not in Slovakia, at Windsor Park against Slovakia. We're obviously centering this podcast around that game. Is it something you want to see, say in Austria or at home to Romania, just to try a few different things out before we play in the uh, the World Cup qualifiers in March?
2: It's This is a really interesting question, I think, because we we heard Barclough when he got the job is that there weren't going to be wholesale changes. It would be pretty much just a variation of what we saw on under, under O'Neill, which is what he was very very close to so should know it intrinsically um, it might have been a few tweaks here and there but it's it looks to have been very experimental up to this point which is exactly the opposite of what paracloss suggested that it would be so i don't really know what to expect from this game what to expect from the Austria game or Romania I expect huge changes after that because I think everything's been based around this one game and let's be fair Nations League it's I think it's actually a decent tournament but as far as where we are concerned now and are standing in the table and not a lot really matters you know you have to work really hard to get yourself into a position to do anything in that in that little mini group now, so everything's based around this. Um, Dallas and Lewis totally agree. Two of our best players. Um, Dallas is a wing back. I think a lot depends on what the midfield do in front of you to allow you to get forward. I think a lot and a lot's determined by what the opposition do. So, for instance, certainly at uh, we've been, it's been noticeable that when we do play the three at the back they do get down the sides of us quite easy and with Dallas and Conor McLaughlin out there it, it's particularly against Norway it didn't was it against Norway or was it against Austria I can't remember but they kind of it was kind of like they were playing an system, they were trying to figure out as they went along and it didn't work particularly well I didn't think so I don't know um I think a flat four for me would be ideal given the players that we have at our disposal. But I just I I don't think we have the players to throw a third centre back in is really the I think the crux of the issue here. You maybe try sticking Nick McNair in there, but then you know, what do you do in the middle of the park? I'm not really sure. So I think that's probably what will inform the decision. And if we do go with a back three. It doesn't fill me with a massive amount of confidence, regardless of how effective the wing backs might be going forward in Dallas and Lewis. That's completely fair. That's completely fair. And just to stick with you
0: briefly, Dave, on this on this point, because I guess the the one thing that you could say in favour of the three five two is that a lot of our centre halves are playing on the back three at club level. Uh, Johnny Evans has been doing it recently Craig Cathcart's doing it every week Paddy McNair has got rave reviews something I think Neil Warnock compared him to Beckenbauer and I know Neil Warnock's a bit of a Muppet but it's high praise You know, Dan Ballard does well there Tom Flanagan, Conor McLaughlin all playing in the back three but the other thing I guess is that Josh McGinnis and Conor Washington uh, linked up very well in Norway created a couple of chances in what was quite a defensive team and do you think even though you've said sort of you're, you're going 4-3-3 do you think it's an option for us to bring McGinnis and Washington on and, and does that partnership excite you for the future? As
2: far as having as far as having two centre forwards that are actually decent and work their socks off and can fashion chances just by brute force and ignorance then yeah we rarely have one never mind two that you could say I, I, I'll be happy enough if they started um, that's where we are as a nation and that's absolutely fine but there is a dynamic there that could work quite well. McGuinness is strong as an ox. He, he can see the ball. He can hold it up. Um, he can win his flick-ons. Washington is quick. He likes, to, he likes to run in behind. He can work the channels really well. So as far as going with the two, with both of them, I think there could be a really positive relationship work that could work between the pair of them simply because of the type of players that each, one of, each of them are. As far as being able to determine a formation that's going to fit them both in, given what we have elsewhere in the pitch, I think you'd be compromising elsewhere. And the bottom line is it's goals. If we play them as a pair up front together and compromise elsewhere in the pitch, are they going to give us that many more goals? Than if we were to play in another manner. I don't think they would. So I don't know if the compromise is worth it, if anything that I said there makes any sense at all. No,
0: I, I completely agree with that. Like sort of when you when you're sticking the two in there, you are basing that off the, the higher chance of getting a goal. And then if you're as you say, if you are compromising the style of playing, the approach because
2: of that, and they don't get you the goal, um you can be in the mud a little bit, can't you? Okay. If one of them is prolific, then absolutely. But <laughs> Neither of them are prolific, particularly at international level, regardless of how um, good how much of a good form each of them are at the club and for their clubs at the minute.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely fair. Um, so I put I put a poll up on Twitter um, today asking who would you start up front on Thursday night? Uh, so sixty one percent of people said they play Connor Washington, only ten percent said they play Josh McGuinness, twenty-seven percent said they'd play they play both of them, actually, presumably in a 3-5-2. And two percent said that they will play neither. I'm not quite sure what that is, but I put reply with who, and they didn't reply. So cheers, lads. Pete, uh, are you going to uh, are you gonna are you gonna agree with the, the the people here, or are you gonna do a Donald Trump and go McGuinness?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think I'll, I I don't think we'd go McGuinness on his own. I think he's useful as a hold-up player. Um. Definitely Washington. Definitely Washington. Um, whether or not starting McGuinness with them hinders the system too much is the question, I suppose, to talk about. Um, no, I'd, I'd go with them both. I think if Slovakia are defending, I think by having two strikers on the pitch, if we do manage to get crosses into the box and create a few opportunities, it gives us the best. Uh chance of scoring a goal okay interesting
0: and dave washington mcginnis both or why um
2: so what i think they'll probably do is i think we'll probably see a 4-3-3 i think we will see washington right i think we'll see sorry i think we'll see mcginnis right washington through the middle and probably mcginn left hand side um, if that's the way they're getting both of them into the side, and if maybe if people are replying to that Twitter poll saying both, they may not necessarily be thinking of it as a two. Um, but I don't really know who is is neither. I've never heard of him before. I don't know whether he if neither is a recent call up. There are maybe- a lot
0: of Kyle Lafferty hangers on. There are a lot of them out there.
2: Yeah, we, we can't afford to carry a player anymore, basically. And Lafferty, it just doesn't give you enough off the ball. Um, he's not, he's not, there's not enough quality there now. There might have been for a, a, a brief period in his career where just something mentally amazing happened and he should bask in that glory for the rest of his life, but that, certain period of what 18 24 months doesn't really represent the player that he was before or has been since. So I don't think we can afford to accommodate that. Um yeah, I think both of them, yes, not in a two, is, is my opinion on that.
0: Completely fair. Dave Dunning there saying that Kyle Lafferty should have retired in October 2015 twenty <laughs> um, no, fifteen. No, have him in I the
2: changing rooms and all for the crack, because yeah. he seems like absolutely brilliant crack. But he does. like maybe a la Bosnia, where you're 10 minutes to go and you maybe need something, just just throw him on and see what happens. And he, he, He's a big brute in the box. He's tall. He wins his flick ones. And if you are struggling at that, do you, do you know what? Five minutes to go and we're 1-0 up. Bring him on and stick him centre-half just to head things out of the box. That would even be all right with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you there as well. Um, I think Kyle Lafferty in this state of fitness... Uh, unless there's a drastic upturn in form, is probably done in terms of starting for Northern Ireland. Um, it was an experiment that we saw at home to Austria in the last game, and it's something I don't particularly want to see again. Okay, Pete, let's talk about the rest of the lineup now. Um, so you mentioned in the first pod, uh, or the first part of the pod, sorry, that you would go for two out-and-out wingers. I assume, uh, or sorry, sorry, you said that you play you play McGinnis, um, on the right, um, Washington through the center. Are you going to go McGinn on the left? Then it's, it's very hard to drop him, isn't it, after Bosnia?
1: Yeah, I sort of take back that comment for the two night-night wingers. Yeah, McG- McGuinness on the right, and yeah, I go I go with McGinn, um, especially after the game against Bosnia. I think he, he stepped up to the mark and um, played really well. So that's my front three. Um, do you want the rest of the team?
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It'll be interesting to hear your your midfield, like because obviously you're, you're not doing Saville on the left, which is what a lot of people have said. So I assume it's a Davis McNair Saville midfield. Yeah,
1: I. Yeah, pretty much. I think the rest of the team sort of picks itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Um yeah, go with that three in midfield if Sables available, obviously. Lewis left back, Evans Cathcart at at centre back, Dallas right back and uh, Peacock, Pico Farrell and Nets. pretty sad. Yeah. yeah, I mean back the the,
0: the back five or the, the back four and the goalkeeper definitely picks itself for this one, I think. There's been a uh, there's been a bit of debate um on different uh, parts of social media as to whether Dallas comes in the midfield because he's obviously been playing there a little bit with, uh, with Leeds um, but Dave, w- what would you sort of look to do on the wings and then like I guess the back five really picks itself and do you think Thompson comes in and maybe Southwood goes out left as we've seen which hasn't really worked at times or do you think it'll be three centre midfielders, two out uh, and out wingers and
2: Connor Washington? Yeah, I, I agree with Pete's Suggested lineup. I think that's probably what he'll go with. Um, Dallas. It's such a frustration for me. He's Such a good footballer. Um, I think our midfield suffers from the lack of a right back that we have and have had since probably Aaron Hughes was even thirty-three, which was about twenty years ago. Um, it's like every England have about fifteen right backs. Every nation in the world has a good, half decent right back and we don't have any. So we're having to shove Dallas in there, which he can do a brilliant job as. But I would love to see a mid-feed three of of Dallas Davis and and McNair. I think there's real quality in there. Um, So that is, for me, has been a frustration for quite some time now. Uh, so that's just me getting that
0: off my chest. Yeah, um, just just to pick up on that right-back point there quickly, Dave, before you give me the rest of your team. I mean, for years we saw Aaron Hughes out there, Gareth McCauley, you know, sort of shoehorned into that position from centre-half. And, and then McLaughlin... I think, think
2: Cathcourt even played right-back yeah,
0: at times. Yeah, he did. He did. You're right to say that. Yeah, I think he actually makes his debut in Slovenia when we, we win 1-0 with the Corey Evans debut goal, doesn't he? So um, I don't, I think he actually maybe plays left-back there. But... um. The point, the general point I'm trying to make is that, is that like when Conor McLaughlin comes in in at the start of 2014 and just offers us a, a conventional a conventional sort of performance every week in, week out, not well, week in, week out, obviously for international level, but every time he played for us, he gave us that seven out of 10 and he gave us that balance of having a, an out-and-out fullback out there. And then Dallas has sort of changed the game because he's he's come in now and he's offered us that attacking threat that we've, we haven't really had at right back for the last 20 years, have we? So it's difficult for anyone who even comes in to replace Dallas, say, in a Nations League game because like and Michael Smith or Conor McLaughlin are, are limited fullbacks and that, that's no slight on on their ability. That's just the role they play in the team and everyone's sort of expecting them to be flying up and down like Dallas does.
2: Yeah, Dallas is, like I say, I just think he's a very good footballer. He's one of these, I don't know, if, if you're anywhere near my age, you might remember like David O'Leary for Arsenal who was just able to slot in left, right and centre all over the pitch. If you want to talk about the likes of James Milner now, um, you know, could just, just, he's just a really intelligent player who can... Go and do a job in most areas. The he's played left back for Leeds, left wing, midfield, right midfield, right back. You know, um, and and this is this this is the situation that he's that good, and we're putting him at right back. Is that we're going? It's going to be really hard to find a right back for Northern Ireland anywhere close to the level that he's at, and it's not really his natural position. So. He's maybe a little bit of a a victim of his own ability in that sense, where he's almost kneeled down that position in the Northern Ireland side, even though it probably necessarily isn't where he's most effective in the pitch. But that's where we are, and we can, we've got a few more options in midfield than we do in that area, so surely unlucky, go down there, do a good job. You might not love it, but we love you.
0: (laughs) yeah yeah spot on um and i think the thing with dallas i as, as you sort of referenced sir dave as well and we, we talked about it me and pete talked about it after the after the norway game uh, where we lose one nil out there and it's like because dallas is sort of so versatile and can play literally anywhere like you mentioned like james miller there i mean it's because because he has that people sort of don't Appreciate his quality as much. I think he's a utility player who can do a bit of a job in every position. But like he's, he's a jack of all trades and master of a fair few of them, isn't he? Like he's he's such a super player for for Northern Ireland. Um, let's go on to the midfield because you guys have both sort of picked the same front three. I assume you're both going for Davis McNair and Saville. But I said in the on the on the Twitter poll, would you start Jordan Thompson on Thursday night? Forty five percent, forty five percent of people said yes. 26% of people said no, and 29% of people said only if Saville is out. So Pete, we know at the time of recording, I always say this um, at every pod, uh, at the start of every podcast, is that you know we're recording on the Sunday night here. A lot can change before Thursday, especially with COVID. But Pete, w- what would you what would you do then? Would you just go Davis McNair Saville? It's that sort of tried and trusted midfield. It's maybe a bit one piece sometimes, but it's uh, it's it's probably the one for this game, isn't it?
1: yeah it's tried and tested it got us through bosnia so i'd I'd probably stick with it i know with savile he's had a lot of stick in the past but he he seems to work in the system that we have and play well um know all the stick comes from the finishing and (laughs) i suppose that's the the lasting thought that an association you have with savile he doesn't seem to score goals he misses a lot of chances and all the chances we seem to create always fall to him i think is a touch unfair because it takes away uh, from the rest of the attributes that he has. I think he's a really hard worker. He, he gives everything when he plays and as a Northern Ireland fan that's the main thing I look to really. I think in a game of this magnitude it, you know, it could be his moment he might he might put a goal in for us. I, I think we've got a backstabble here. Give him another shot um, and I'm sure he'll step up and perform really well.
0: Dave, he really is a goal at this point, isn't he? I mean, I've said before, like, I I think he's a good player. I think he's a good midfielder for Northern Ireland. And look, he's playing very well on this Middlesbrough side in a more advanced position. And he seems to get decent numbers season in, season out at club level. But for Northern Ireland, he just needs to get this monkey off his back. And like, what better time would it be? What better time than Slovakia at home in a playoff final to do it? I mean, where do you sort of stand uh, on Saville in general play and what he offers to this midfield?
2: it's saviles really it's a really weird one with savile you see like obviously you don't get to watch a lot of championship football and if you could would you i don't know i know i wouldn't savile you see him every now and again bending one into the top corner from 25 yards or smashing one in on the half volley from from the edge of the penalty area and he seems to get good numbers and he's rated really highly there and he comes in and he's his energy and he's work great and he's neat and tidy with the ball um, but Pete's right. Like I said earlier on, football fans have this tendency to view players and games through a lens and that lens seems to focus on George Savile's probably missed four, five, six maybe good chances for Northern Ireland that he should have scored and there's I think there was one against Bosnia that was on the up but it was deflected over and because it was Savile he should have scored, because he's missed that many before, I thought it was a really difficult chance. Um, so I get I get what people's frustration is with him. I have also become frustrated with him from that perspective. But at the same time, I think what what I was talking about earlier on, he knows his role. He does it well. He doesn't have as much license to go forward as he does for Middlesbrough. And... The fact that he's restraining himself playing in that Northern Ireland midfield three or maybe at the left hand side just shows that he does have tactical awareness and he's not just going to abandon a position for the sake of going and doing what he does at club level and smashing one into the top corner or getting on the end of something in the box just because it's really fun to do it and it's great to stick the ball in the back of the net and run away wheeling with celebration and all your teammates running after you. People say about sacrificing themselves for the team, and I think that is a sacrifice he makes for the team. So, you know, we've been successful with him being... George savile has been a key part of success over the last like at least 18 months, probably more than that. So for people to label accusations that he's not good enough, I think is overly harsh.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And uh, obviously, I don't want to come back onto the, the formation, but... I guess the fact that Paddy McNair is in that midfield and he's the guy that's going to be the link between the midfield and the attack and he's the guy that can pop up with a goal or pop up with an assist, Savile sort of has to be in between McNair and Davis in terms of his role. But maybe if, if McNair does drop into a back three at some point, um, it, it will it, it will give Savile that license that he has at club level where McNair is in a back three. Obviously, they're both playing for the same clubs, but... Just to stick with you on this, Dave, like a lot of people do, as I say, give him stick and maybe there is a thing that obviously he's he, he's English, he's switched allegiances to us and maybe we don't see him as, I don't know, as one of our own to the same extent we see the likes of Josh McGuinness or, or Kyle Lafferty. I don't know if that plays into it, but this people talk about the chances. Like, the amount of chances he gets that's not by accident that's by him being in that position that's by him making those perfectly timely runs into the box and although it's really frustrating as you say when when he he misses these as you say four five six big chances and i think there's been four five six in sarajevo alone but there is (laughs) definitely there is an argument that for him to be he gets more chances than any of our players and that's down to his overall play and ability i mean people obviously understandably forget that uh, but what do you do you sort of agree with that or do you reckon they're just falling to him by luck and he's he's not taking them
2: no uh, that sort of thing isn't isn't luck it's it's just a natural instinct to be able to sniff sniff things out in the box and be able to time your runs correctly and it's something he is clearly good at and i think what is encouraging yeah he's missed the chances but i'd It's kind of the same with the centre-forward. I'd far rather have a centre-forward that misses loaded chances and scores the odd one than a centre-forward that doesn't get any chances at all because that just tells me they're not capable of finding space, their movement's not good enough, they can't read the game and read the play and read their teammates' passes. So, you know, as long as he has the mentality to continue to put himself in the positions that chances are going to fall to him, then great. Because, listen, it's it's the law of averages. Sooner or later, one will go in. He might scuff it into the ground. It might be like that first goal that Peter Crouch scored for Liverpool that was deflected up in the air 400 yards and dropped into the net. And then he scored another great goal immediately afterwards. You know, maybe he just needs one of those. So, look, if he continues to put himself in those positions, then brilliant. As long as he has that... Mental strength to be able to brush those misses off and continue to do that. Then, you know, I'd be really, really, really happy with that because sooner or later one of them is going to hit the back of the net. Yeah, and,
0: and Pete, just to finish up on the on the sort of lineup as well, like the point Dave makes there uh, about sort of overall play, meaning that Savile Savile gets more chances than your average midfielder. I mean, it's it's the same sort of argument as well. Like when we're talking about Kai Lafferty and McGuinness and Washington. A lot of people do prefer like Lafferty, and I can completely understand it because if a chance falls, I don't want it to fall to anyone else in our team other than Kyle Lafferty. But the problem is getting the chances, and it was always the same thing with Will Grigg. Will Grigg is probably the best, still the best finisher that we could call upon, but he's so bad at everything else, you never get him a chance to finish. Um, I mean, there is something to be said about, about these players, isn't there, who, who are clinical. But they get chances, um, and somebody like Connor Washington can can uh, can make can make those chances for himself. So, the for, for you guys, I think you've gone for the same lineup. So, if correct me if I'm wrong here, you guys are both going for Peacock, Farrell, Dallas, Cathcart, Johnny Evans, Jamal Lewis, Paddy McNair, Steve Davis, George Savile, Josh McGuinness on the right, Washington central, and Niall McGinn left. Is that both what you're going for? Yeah, uh, bang on.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm gonna go slightly different. I'm gonna actually put Saville on the left, which isn't gonna be popular, but I just think it's, it's it's a it's a perfect time for Jordan Thompson now to come in. He's been playing regularly at Stoke. Michael O'Neill clearly trusts him. He talked a lot about him when he was manager in Northern Ireland. He he. Brought him to Stoke and he's been starting him, uh, trusting him in Championship games. So I think this is maybe Jordan Thompson's time. And obviously Savile left with those uh, central midfield instincts. He can come in, can smother the likes of Labaka if he's playing. The likes of Hamshick. Um, and I'd I'd have I'd have him on the right. And I can't remember if I said, but I'd play just about favor Connor Washington up front with the view to bringing Josh McGinnis on. Fellas, thanks very much for coming on this podcast. Before you go, um, give me a prediction, Dave. What do you think's gonna happen?
2: Um. Let's go like a nice, well, an uncomfortable 2-0. We just score with like half an hour to go and then we'll just make one at the end.
0: 2-0 sounds good to me. Pete, what are you going for?
1: Uh, probably not as optimistic, uh, but I'm going to go for 1-0, <laughs> which okay. we'd, we'd obviously take. And uh, George Savile, the goal scorer. <laughs> oh, I
0: love it. I love it. I love <laughs> it so much.
1: Um, I'm actually going to go for 0-0
0: after extra time and Northern Ireland to win on penalties again. I don't know how everyone's heart's going to be. I mean, I barely got through Bosnia. How I, <laughs> there was no medical explanation how I came out the other side of that game. But uh, I did, and I think we're going to maybe gonna have to go through it again, just because there's... Uh, there's there's so many injuries for Slovakia and I think they'll come for a point and they've got, they've got strong defensive midfielders and centre halves back there. So I think they could end up frustrating us, especially with our lack of, uh, of clinicality, if that's a word up front. All right, let's wrap up the podcast there. Fellas, thanks so much for coming on. Cheers, Andy.
2: Thanks again. Nope, not at all. An absolute pleasure.
0: Good stuff. Um, we'll be back after the, um, after the Northern Ireland versus Slovakia game. Uh, We'll do it in the direct aftermath of the game. We'll have a a reaction straight out. Win, lose, or draw, or penalties, or whatever. (laughs) All all the different permutations that can go on in this game. But yeah, as I say, thanks to these guys for coming on. Thanks very much to you guys for listening. Like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, subscribe, review, do all that. Uh, I'll see you again after Bosnia. Thank you very much.